If you could create one powerful change at work, what would it be? Would you change the way oncologists view your role and develop a successful head and neck cancer program for patients before, during, and after their treatment? Maybe you would change the way your clinical director values your services and gets them to approve funding for tools and continuing education the same way they fund PT and OT. Or maybe you would change the way oral care and thickened liquids are managed at your facility and be the reason behind reducing rates of aspiration pneumonia thanks to the protocols you implement. Whatever the change may be, I have good news. You can make it happen in the next six months. You're invited to join the Changemakers Collective, a strategic mentorship program starting this June. I'm looking for medical SLPs who want to make some serious change at work or in their community, the kind of change that has a ripple effect. Throughout the six-month program, you'll develop a tangible goal and receive step-by-step guidance to achieve that goal. Don't have a specific goal in mind yet, but know that something needs to change. Our mentors can help you iron out the details. This includes 18 group mentor calls for advanced ASHA CEUs, templates, a private community, and high-touch support for high-level goals. Go to www.medslpcollective.com forward slash changemakers to learn more. Again, that's www.medslpcollective.com forward slash changemakers. Hello, my friends. Welcome back. Uh, I am so, so, so excited for this episode. I'm so excited to bring this episode to you. We've been working on it for quite a few months now, Um, but I'd like to introduce you to uh, four mentors. These are actually four of probably my most favorite human beings in this field, Um, but they served as mentors for the MedSLP Education Certification Program, the last cohort. And the uh, MedSLP Education Certification Program is currently open for applications for our next cohort starting in September. So if you're interested in checking that out, please go to MedSLPED, M-E-D-S-L-P-E-D.com to check that out and apply and see if it might be a good fit for you. But uh, the MedSLP Education Certification Program is for any SLP that's just seeking more solid foundational knowledge in the medical field specifically. Uh, So we have a lot of courses. All the courses are available to purchase just one off if you're not interested in the certification. But if you're interested in joining the certification program, Uh, you do get mentorship by some amazing, amazing, amazing SLPs. So for this episode today, I wanted to bring them on. You know, I think what's interesting about the topic or or the the word mentorship is it has so many different meanings, right? And it can be loose, it can be formal, it can be very structured, it can be unstructured. And something that was so important to me with MedSLP education was to make sure that we had mentors that really, truly understand what it's like to be an SLP in a medical setting, um, in a hospital, in a in a rehab center, doing outpatient. Um, so these mentors were selected based on their experiences and also just based on feedback from mentees that they had in that their mentorship style was so helpful, so productive, and gave them the results that they really wanted in seeking out a mentor. So um, I really wanted to get them on here to talk to you. And hopefully, you know, if you're someone that is a mentor or you want to get into mentoring, hopefully you can take some feedback from them. Um, because these are some really experienced mentors, and I am so grateful and appreciative of all of them. So I hope you all really, truly enjoy this episode. I, I love getting to work with them, and I'm so honored to have them on this episode. Uh, so our first guest is uh, Dr. Lori Burkhead Morgan. She earned her PhD in rehab sciences from the University of Florida in 2005, focusing on applying exercise science principles to communication and swallowing rehab. During nearly 30 years of clinical and academic endeavors, she has developed an expertise in evaluation and treatment of medically complex patients. Dr. Burkhead Morgan is a published author and sought-after speaker on the topic of dysphagia, medically-based speech pathology, and exercise science as it relates to dysphagia. 
Our second guest is George Barnes. He is a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, who has developed an expertise in dysphagia management, focusing on diagnostics and clinical decision-making in the medically complex population. George yearns to make education useful and quality care accessible. With a passion for food and a deep appreciation for the joy and connection it brings to our lives, he has dedicated his life to helping others enjoy this simple but deep-rooted pleasure. And third, we have Isabel Lawton. She's been a practicing SLP for more than 10 years, has worked with patients across the lifespan from NICU to geriatric care in a variety of settings. She specializes in acute care, dysphagia, brain injury, disorders of consciousness, professional issues, and patient advocacy. She's passionate about teaching and mentoring, having recently served as an adjunct professor at a local university. And our last but not least mentor for this episode is Jessica Wynn-Gregor. She obtained her bachelor's in speech and hearing science at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign 2008 and her master's in speech pathology at Rush University in 2010. Over her career, Jessica has worked in a variety of medical settings at prestigious healthcare systems and the VA. She holds her board certification in swallowing and swallowing disorders and has also served on that mentorship committee from 2018 to 2020. Jessica is currently a mentor for the MedSLP Education Program, has been faculty of the Florida Dysphagia Institute, and an international trainer of McNeil Dysphagia Therapy Program since 2019. She is presently the oncology swallowing specialist at the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix, Arizona, in the Department of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery. She has a strong passion for the field of swallowing diagnostics and intervention, as well as multidisciplinary collaboration for optimal patient care. Jessica has established a multidisciplinary dysphagia board, as well as multidisciplinary swallowing clinic with her ENT and GI partners. Her primary research interest is the oral pharyngeal and esophageal interplay. And again, I'm so grateful to have all of these four wonderful people on this episode. It took forever to try to get us all uh, in one spot at the same time, but I'm so glad that we did. And I'm so grateful to all of them. And if you're interested in learning more about the MedSLP Education Certification Program, please head to MedSLPEd.com. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders and founder of the MetaSLP Collective and MetaSLP Education. This podcast is dedicated to delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere, while also recognizing that medical SLPs everywhere are doing the best with what they've got. Whether you are a new clinician seeking tangible tools for therapy or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is simple, to help you advance your practice without feeling overwhelmed or underappreciated. This means that together we'll build confidence, broaden your knowledge, and reignite your passion for our field. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride and be open to new ideas because at the end of the day, you and your patients deserve that kind of support. With that, let's dive in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. All right. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I am so excited to record this episode. This is something we've been trying to coordinate. Uh, schedules are lovely, but thank you so much, you guys, for joining me. Um, yeah, I've been wanting to do this episode for a while and really just talk about really the power of mentorship. And I think what's really fascinating about the field of speech pathology is that, you know, we do have the clinical fellowship year, right? And there is sort of standards for that. But as far as 
you know, actually investing in mentorship further on in your career or requirements for mentorship. There really isn't that in speech pathology like there is in some other medical profession. So it's something that I'm so passionate about. It's I've learned pretty much everything I know from mentors that I've had. Uh, so it's something that's near and dear to, to my heart. And everybody that's on this call tonight is an exceptional mentor. Uh, and I just would love to hear sort of how they got here, why they got here, all the things. So we'll just introduce everybody really quick. And Isabel, if you'd like to go first. Sure. So my name is Isabel Lawton. I am obviously a speech pathologist, but I've been practicing now for about 10 years um, and have been kind of everywhere. Started out in the schools, transitioned over to patient rehab, where I was working primarily with brain injury, the lead pediatric speech pathologist. So got to see from you know birth to end of life uh, for all kinds of neurological disorders. And then from there, transitioned to acute care, where I've been for the last four and a half years. And recently started a private practice. And then, you know, dabbling in some mentoring here. I adjunct at a local university as well. So my hands kind of in a lot of pots. Awesome. Jessica. Hi. Um, so I've been practicing for 15 years and um, gosh, okay. So I've worked in the VA system. I've worked at the Cleveland Clinic system and now I'm at Mayo Clinic and uh, in Arizona. Gosh, I, I just had been a cancer patients are a definite passion of mine. And so including laryngectomy patients. And most recently I started almost a year ago, a multidisciplinary swallow clinic that I'm really proud of. And it's monthly right now. We're trying to shoot for weekly and it's a combined clinic for with uh, speech pathology, ENT and GI. So the patient comes in and it's a one-stop shop and it's going great. Yes. Love it. Yes. But I, and I've been mentoring for as long as I've been a clinical fellow. <laughs> And it's it's been a great experience, and it was an honor and a privilege to be asked to be a mentor for a MedSLP Ed. Yeah, awesome, George. So my name is George Barnes. I work primarily in a critical illness recovery hospital, seeing patients with traits and vents. I also work with a small community hospital, and I run a mobile fees company as well. And I have to say, one of the most meaningful things that I do is mentorship. Really, you know, this opportunity has been incredible for many reasons. It has motivated me to get my own mentor, uh, who I meet with regular, regularly. And I find it extraordinarily meaningful to give back and also to get guidance on my own. And before I started this, I really, you know, now at this point cannot imagine being without a mentor and having that kind of guidance on a regular basis. So, yeah. Awesome. Lori? Yeah, so I am Lori Burkhead Morgan, and um, it's crazy to say this, but I've been practicing for almost 30 years. <laughs> you don't look it at all. That's impossible. I think, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and I have done um, primarily um, acute care was the first part of, of my career, um, critical care, trikes and vents, and have uh, really delved in deeply with head and neck cancer, neuro, and currently I'm working with uh, the ALS population, which is a new thing for me um, to work primarily just with that population. I've dabbled in it before. Um, so I'm learning and growing even almost 30 years in, and I'm excited about that. And I also have uh, people I go to to push and prod me a little bit and make me think 
more deeply. So mentors as well. And, and even outside of our field. So I have a neurology mentor right now. And uh, I absolutely love teaching and mentorship. I started out of my CF, I started doing um, some teaching and adjunct um, at University of Central Florida was the first place I taught. Um, and uh, then I um, continue on in my career and did some guest lecturing. And about nine, 10 years into my career, decided to go back for a PhD um, to so that I could do more uh, research, um, as well as teaching. And I um, just find it so rewarding to see those light bulbs go off and to help encourage students to push themselves further than they ever thought they could for the benefit of their patients. So it's a true passion of mine. Awesome. Oh, we could just end this here. Okay. You guys are so wonderful. <laughs> okay. So I, w- I want to talk a little bit about, you know, I think what's interesting is that there seems to be those people that constantly seek out mentors, right? You just always want to know more, want to know how we could do better for our profession, want to know better how we can do better for our patients. And then there's other people that just don't really believe in the power of mentorship. And I and I always wonder if it's just, have they not had a good mentor or I don't know. I, 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 I guess that sort of puzzles me. So I'm curious to hear, you know, what, what is the importance of mentorship for you guys and how does that look in where you've gotten in your career? So Isabel, I'll let you start. Sure, of course. So um, a little bit of background that I didn't get into before, but I had, I call it speech pathology, my second life, because um, before becoming an SLP, I did um, sales for international business and marketing for like seven years. And so um, something that's really interesting to me about sort of like the corporate world is there, my perception is there is a lot of opportunity for mentorship early on because of how strong of a of a lean and kind of a reliance there is on principles of organizational development because that's what's going to help companies grow and thrive allow their employees to move up within their organizations create engagement early on and so when i transitioned from that world of just like hyper focus on growth and development to the clinical side where there was a hyper-focus on refining clinical skill and tuning in, it was really easy for me to marry those two worlds and create a space for mentorship, both for myself and for the people that I interacted with. But I agree with you 100%. It's not something that's intrinsic for a lot of people. And so um, what I really enjoy is kind of observing. And that's like a really big principle with mentorship, right, is observing those who you are around to try to identify patterns and potential opportunity for learning. And then leaning into those interests and establishing kind of like that mutual interest, mutual respect so that you can build a mentoring relationship from there. So a good mentoring relationship, in my opinion, shouldn't feel forced. It should feel really effortless and easy on both ends. I don't know. That's kind of <laughs> how I view it and try to approach it and feel like I've been pretty successful there so far. But I think for me, a big piece of that is being just as willing to receive that support, even from the people I'm mentoring and learning from them as well. Yeah. Jess? Yeah. So certainly I've had tremendous uh, mentors along my career. I mean, starting off the during my externships at Rush, uh, most of my supervisors were former Rush grads and they were wonderful and they really cared. And I saw passion and that ignited my passion further, right? So I still have key phrases 
in embedded into my brain of how they would phrase their reports and and just you know little tips and tricks that I carried along the way that then you know I want to give back to students and clinical fellows who then are under me. And I think it's as others have pointed out that it's not just the mentorship that I that that you received along your career path, but it's I'm still always seeking mentorship. Uh, very important people in my career uh, that I have on my speed dial on my phone that I have some that I tap into for clinical practice patterns and others I tap into for research guidance. And so I'm very blessed those relationships were nurtured along the way and are still very important in my uh, daily career. And I hope that I'm that person then for, for others. And I have been, I still keep in touch with my very first student that I've had, and I've had a lot of students since then. And so I, I, you know, whether it's for a letter of recommendation or they're calling you with a clinical case question or sending you a video clip to review and what do you think? I love that. I want to just share as much as I can, give back and because I'm receiving it. So it's reciprocal. And I hope that I can also spark some greater passion and interest and um, tips and tricks on efficiency and so forth uh, to others. Thanks, Justin. I love that. George? You know, in, in terms of mentorship and how some people feel like maybe they they don't need it or they feel like it's hard to come by, I think that might be more closer to the issue. But if you think about it, we're all mentors to some degree, and everyone has a mentor to some degree, um, whether it was a professor in grad school or your clinical fellowship supervisor or someone you look up to in the facility, or your friends that you kind of reach out to for questions periodically. Could be a Facebook group to some, it could be the MetaSLP collective to others. But I think mentorship in general is about, like everyone else is saying, giving back, being that sense of support for other people, um, and having the opportunity to, to do that and to do it regularly really is a blessing. It's it's truly an incredible opportunity that I really enjoy. But I do think that it, it requires a mindset shift because a lot of people see it as this very formal thing. Um, and you have to kind of reach out to someone and say, will you please be my mentor and blah, blah, blah. But it can be and often should be in in, in some cases a bit more informal and uh, just to realize that there, you know, this field in particular, it's it's a smaller field and it requires a lot of very specialized education and training. And I feel like everyone has the same mentality. We're kind of in this together. I don't know any speech pathologist that would, if someone reached out to them with a clinical question or a career question or just support or to kind of lend an ear, I don't know anyone that would say no to that request. I know that I have asked countless people and some, you know, very well-known people in the field thinking, oh, they're just going to ignore this email or they're just going to ignore my phone call. And yet they jump on the phone with me and talk to me for an hour about something. Um, You in particular, Teresa, have done that for me on multiple occasions. So thank you for that. And um, and I know each and every one of you uh, on this podcast would do the same for anyone if they reached out with a question. And and I appreciate that. And I know we all appreciate that. Well, thanks, George. Yeah, I, th- I think what's fascinating about that is, is it's like you just we, we put up the our own beliefs, right? We have our own expectations of people's time or what their responses are. We make up stories in their head that they must be too busy. But 
it's it's so interesting that like you said there's so many people that I've reached out to same thing thinking oh you know if I even just get a reply that would be so lovely and same thing everyone's just so generous I think it's people that are in this field just really truly want to genuinely help people and that doesn't just stop with our patients it stops with our colleagues it stops with or you know it continues with with anybody that we come across so yeah thank you for pointing that out Lori yeah absolutely I echo everything that's been said and just want to add that maybe one reason that people are intimidated to reach out to um, someone for mentorship is they they may feel like they don't want to put themselves out there and make it sound like you know oh gosh I don't know something I should know or um, feeling less than. And so I know as a mentor, and even just in my classroom situation, when I'm teaching in a classroom, I, I, I try to dispel the fear of saying something wrong or the fear of not knowing. And so even if someone gives an answer, uh, if I ask a question, um, I try to pull out something that they had right or that they were in the ballpark and then kind of build upon that. And I think that's really the art of where mentorship comes into play. Nobody wants to be talked down to or made to feel like, well, I should have known that. And, and I think that um, what the other folks on here have said is that we are gaining a lot out of mentorship. And I think that I'd like to dispel that fear of reaching out to people because like George said, I mean, I love when, and I think everyone that I know of um, really loves when people reach out and and have questions and you can share um, some of those tips and and tricks, like Jessica said, um, that were passed down to you. Like, oh, this is going to make your life so much easier. Um, But then also being open to say, um, well, gee, how did that work for your have you thought of something? What else have you found that, you know, maybe would help streamline this even more? Or in your readings, what have you, what have you learned instead of me telling you, you know, it's not a lecture experience. Mentorship is a partnership. And maybe, you know, I, I look back and I think I was so fortunate. I had professors all the way from grad school to um, mentors in my, you know, externships and clinical fellowship, I had very collaborative environments where we all, so I might, I had a clinical, a CF supervisor, of course, but we had a whole team of people that we would all sit down together and watch an MBS tape together and all see something a little different. And we all learned from that. So to me, I think um, I'd like to just dispel any fear or trepidation to reaching out because we all whoever you reach out to nine times out of 10 will be thrilled that you reached out and to encourage both mentors and mentees to keep it as a two-way street. It's not just a mentor kind of downloading information to a mentee, but it's an exchange of ideas um, with someone who might have a little bit more experience or knowledge in one particular area, but you know, I don't know at all. <laughs> um, and so if I have a really, uh, enthusiastic, enthusiastic student who um, has additional information that can teach me. I mean, that I love that. Um, so it definitely needs to be a one-way street and don't be afraid to reach out. Oh, I love that, Lori. Yeah. So, so let me, a few key points I want to reiterate. I, I love the concept of the partnership, right? Because I think anybody that mentors or anybody that takes students say, I love doing that because I learn so much when they learn that as well. And I think, you know, that's sort of the beauty of 
our field is both an art and a science, right? And I think of the, the research, the real clinical skills as being the science. And then I think our interactions with patients and with each other and the mentorship piece is really the art. And they both need to be worked on. They both need to be fostered just as much. And it leads leads into it, into the next question I was going to ask you all. And what was interesting was all of you were mentors for the last cohort of the MedSLP education certification. And what was interesting when we were matching the participants with you guys, with the mentors is, you know, we, we thought we were going to go by setting. Um, you know, if you work in the ICU, we'll match you with one of you in the ICU. If you work in outpatient, we'll match with one of you in the outpatient. And we had a few people email in and just say, you know, it, the setting really doesn't matter to me as much as their mentorship style And to me, I was like, oh, that's an interesting, and a few people brought that up. Like, I'm looking for someone that can provide feedback in this way, or I learn best with this sort of dynamic. And I really appreciated that people have that awareness about themselves to know what sort of feedback they require and to know what sort of mentorship style they're looking at. So that's my next question for you guys is what what is your mentorship style and how did you really lean into that style? Is it, you had, you had a mentor that you were like, Ooh, that's who I want to model. Or has it just sort of evolved over the years? Isabel. And this is fun because I think that this is a moving target. (laughs) It changes with every new person I take on and mentor. And I think for me, just to kind of get this part out of the way, I try to be really mindful of asking for feedback about the mentoring, especially if like things are going really well. And all of a sudden, I mean, it's very much like a relationship, you know, with a significant other. And if you're starting to pick up on some clues that maybe, oh, we're withdrawing a little bit. Why is that? Was there something that was said or did I communicate something in a way that didn't really resonate? And so I think my style is very responsive, I think is the word that I would give it. I am somebody who in the beginning will do a lot of listening and asking just a few questions. And I try to pick up on whatever the communication style is of the person that I'm working with. And I do flat out ask what works best for you? Would you rather do voice memos or video chats? I mean, I've had some of my mentees download apps where we can do video messaging back and forth because they just like to have a face to look at. Um, Others who prefer texting, voice memos, emails, I mean, whatever modality it is that they need to get the information and be able to retain it. And then likewise, me feeling, I guess it's just like fills my cup when I know that I've helped them in a way. And so it helps to kind of feed into that intrinsic motivation to be a good mentor, because I know that I'm meeting their need uh, and whatever style they need. So my very long-winded answer to your question is I try to really pick up on those subtleties and those clues and then ask more questions to learn a little bit more about what they need and then adjust from there. Um, And then I like to really engage in a lot of Socratic questioning. Like, I wonder why you're feeling that way or I wonder why this is happening and sort of allowing them to formulate the conclusion or what their thought process is and then building off of that versus just coming in hot with a lot of like advice and information and facts because that's not always helpful or easy to absorb. But, you know, ask me again in a couple months and I might have a different answer for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I love those. Well, thank you for your honesty as always. Jess? Oh, I don't know how you top that answer. Ah! Perfect. <laughs> I mean, and I, I agree and actually identify with that exact same answer. I mean, truly, it really depends on the person and the situation. But one thing's for sure is that when I get an email, a very long email with all, you know, information and questions, I have to talk on the phone. I have to talk it out. 
I have to be on the phone or I can do a FaceTime, but I have to like see the person engage. And that's just my, my personal style of like really making sure that I understand what's happening and then me talking it out and getting their response and kind of participating in that conversation. So um, that was something I was regularly doing. And of course I enjoyed uh, the monthly video calls and, you know, zoom calls with, with the cohort and, and then also the big one. So, you know, they can, we can see each other's faces. I think that's huge. I think that's huge. Thanks, Jess. George. Yeah. You guys uh, have all brought up awesome points that, um, that really resonate with me specifically the kind of talking it out sort of approach, which, you know, my, when I, when I first started mentoring for the MetaSLP Collective, um, it was mostly on Facebook. And so I really liked the kind of getting questions and then being able to write out like almost short essays of responses and kind of doing my research and making sure everything was right it allowed me to kind of teach myself and to do a deep dive and really get um, down deep into what this person needed to help their patient. And then I realized that's a very small part of what mentorship really is about. I think it's important for us to be there in that capacity, but similar to what Isabel is saying, where you really do need to modify your approach based on the person sitting in front of you. And, and the only way to do that is, is like what Jessica said, is really to, to talk to them, to bounce ideas back and forth, to let it evolve over time. And the best way I can put my approach, which has totally evolved since I started this process, is to give space and to give time and to not feel like you need to constantly pull them along. It's more giving them space to come along on their own time and to feed them those kinds of questions that Isabel was saying, those Socratic questions, those discussion-provoking questions, um, which is why the MetaSLP Ed is that those groups that we're talking about are so incredible because it's not just me asking those questions. I'm sure that many of you have had that experience as well, where other people start chiming in with their own questions. Hey, what about this? Or what did you think about that? Have you considered this? And then so, um, you know, it's it's sort of like I'm in the background and kind of moving things along and asking questions when I need to and providing feedback when I need to and supporting when I need to. But it is, I would say, much more of an art than like a scientific approach. It's it's more of a, you know, modifiable sort of support that we're providing to them to, to come up with the answer on their own as much as we can. Thanks, George. It, it, it's so funny. We're all on Zoom right now and we're all little talking heads. Like as George was talking, we're all nodding our heads. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm looking for that too. Yeah. To make sure that everyone's on the same page. Yeah. yeah. So thank you. Yeah. For that, Lori. You know, and again, I agree with everything that's been said previously. And I think if if I had to come up with like a word or something to describe my mentorship style or what I what I really feel is important, I try to do when I'm mentoring is um, just to have a, to create an environment that's, again, disarming um, and supportive, because I think, again, a lot of times people know a lot of 
the answers. Or um, like Jessica said, they just need someone to kind of talk through it with them and and ask those questions instead of just providing lots and lots of information. And there are times when the, the you know, someone I'm entering may not have the information. So then I give them that information. And like George said, let them kind of sit on that for a minute and say, well, let's let's set a date and let's come back and talk about it, what your questions are, how you think you can move forward based on this information. But I think that, you know, that's that's what I really like to do is just to build that confidence in people that you have the tools. You most of the time, you know, the answers. I just need to give you a little nudge or guidance to get you kind of on that that path. Um, And, yeah, I think what everyone here is saying is is uh, giving tools to people and then giving them the room and helping to build the confidence to help them grow into that. I love that. Thank you so much, you guys. Hope everybody just got a million dollars worth of mentorship education from that. So thank you. (laughs) And we are going to end this episode here. We're going to make this a two-part series. So check back next week to hear part two with these wonderful, wonderful mentors. And that's a wrap for this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email list so that you'll never miss another episode. If you do like what you hear, then please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at teresarichard.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.